the premise of the book obviously is just simply about motivation and what drives human behavior. And, you know, that's where I'm, ever since I started reading about Simon Sinek, these kind of books are really interesting to me to really understand the psychology of just business and, and human behavior and, and how those two intersect. So that's where I got a big kick out of it. And that's where I, I was, I love the book. Um, actually, I thought it was one of the best books we read this year. So I'm like completely on the opposite side. Well, that's, um, that's great. I'm so glad I, that, you know, that's what make the world go round. Yeah. Because the Tony Robbins book that I didn't contribute on, like that was a chore for me. Like that was hard. I mean, it was long, but it was hard. I mean, it was, that was just, that could have been done like in 200 pages instead of like 500 in any event. Um, you know, so he talks about uh, a couple different theories, but in the big, the premise of the book was people are extremely, are more successful when they can identify, when, when, when three things, three elements can come into play within their work life. One is mastery, the other is autonomy, and the other is purpose. And if you can pull those three elements together, it's been his experience that you're, you're going to be successful with it in any task or that, that you have, that you will undertake. Um, there are, and so there are some very real examples that I can pull from that I've seen in my career that directly correlate to this book. And, a, and one of them specifically is, I think he talks about in chapter two, when he's identifying the, um, where is it? I'm trying to find my, my place here. Let me, oh yeah, he talks about in chapter two, when he's talking about the different, um, how different scandals and um, misbehavior can be, can lead to, to certain outcomes. And the mall business, I can relate this to mall business. We've always had an issue with tenants opening and closing on time or following what we would consider to be the rules and regulations of our shopping centers. And we always use this carrot and stick approach. And if you don't open on time, we'll find you 50 bucks. If you don't open again, we'll find you a hundred dollars. If you don't open again on the third time, we'll, you know, we'll find, whatever the case may be and it, and it escalates. Well, think about it. You do it once. It, it's just, it, it's an accounting nightmare. It's an administrative nightmare and it doesn't work. And I'll, I'll bring up uh, a good example since Beth's on the line. Um, so I joined Terra, she hired me uh, at Terra Nova in 2000. And, and so I was a junior leasing guy and, um, <clears throat> and she had the toughest time getting her leasing team to do activity reports. And so uh, I remember, I think I was like, uh, maybe like a nine months in or something like that, or a year in, she says, look, if you don't uh, get your activity report, your leasing activity report in on time, I'm going to find the entire team, like a hundred bucks each or something. So she kind of made this, <laughs> this, uh, this, you know, I guess that would be the carrot and the stick um, that you're talking about. Um, 
but you know, a lot of the uh, leasing agents said, yeah, you know, hundred bucks, I'll, you know, I can afford it. <laughs> if that's all it costs, great. That means I'll just pay the hundred bucks and I have more time to, to, you know, to procrastinate. But, you know, I was a one year, I was making, you know, $25,000 a year. I was like, I can't afford that. So I remember hunting down every single one of the leasing agents and getting in the verbal altercations with them and to, to the point where I think Beth had to, you know, change it or else there'd be probably a, a fight in the office or something. Mutiny. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah. Go, go ahead. Uh, finish your thought on that though, Greg, back to the mall and, thing for a second. Well, and, and so it just, it never worked. And we always found out that the more we find one, we never really collected. And secondly, the behavior never changed. So I, I actually, I forwarded this book to my, one of my old GMs here in Houston. And I said, you have to read this because it co perfectly correlates to what, and, and she and I work together on this. So that's the reason I forwarded it to her. Directly the behavior that we were trying to correct and what we were doing was actually making it worse. And, and it, it's, we have documentation that shows it on, on the more we find, the worse the behavior became. And, and so it just was, this is, this is why it was so eye-opening. This is why I kind of enjoyed the book because I could easily correlate it to real life experiences that have happened, not just in my career, whether it be in the last year or so, but I can go back. I mean, there's multiple examples that I can pull from in my career that this book really speaks to. So I, I mean, that's the reason I got so much out of it. I mean, look, I think that internal motivation and drive to do the right thing, you know, we all want tenants and employees to do that, right? Correct. But you've got to figure out you know, you've got employees or, you know, we ourselves have jobs to do and may not have the mastery. I agree. I think that most, I think that if you have the autonomy that you will do better than being micromanaged, no one likes to be micromanaged. No one. Right. No. So people, you, you know, you're like, did you hire me? If you don't think I can do the job, then then let me go. But my, I mean, I, I just think back to the asset managers I had in my prior life that, or in right now, even partners, right? If I have a partner who's calling me and, and well, did you call this person? Did you call that? Like, oh my God, I'm not, you're not investing with me anymore. You know, <laughs> Like, leave me alone. I can do my job. And if you don't think I can do my job, then stop investing with me. Or, find, or in the case of being an asset manager, then hire a different company because no one likes to be, and, and all those of us here that are, that supervise people. I mean, when I, when I try to follow up and ask Josie about stuff, you know, she, no one likes to be micromanaged. But so I think that the point is, is, you know, Hugh manages a lot of people. I've have managed a lot of people in my life. I think that what this is kind of eye-opening to me is if they're not motivating themselves, they're in the wrong seat on the bus. Right. Exactly. And and that's where I don't think we here. can change their motivation. No. And we ended up, we you know, you hate to do this, but we ended up having to make an example of somebody to show other retailers what would happen. And finally, we, we pinpointed something. It was just a, 
you know, he, he was a chronic issue and we made a very exaggerated example of what can happen. And I mean, we put stuff on, I mean, it was, it was over, over, but we, we had to do it because we showed them and instead of finding them, we showed them what could happen. It's like, look, yeah, you can lose a hundred bucks. That's fine. But what if you lost your entire business today? What if your doors were shut forcibly by a landlord because you didn't follow the rules? So now only you, you have no income. You have zero income today. So your, your $100 issue has now turned into a million dollars problem. Because you that's got a, that's a big stick. <laughs> It's a big stick. I, it's, I, I think it's not a stick. It, it's actually, I, I'm a mom of a five-year-old. So I see the correlation of parenting to what oh, you're yeah. talking about, because what you're demonstrating is not a stick. It's a natural consequence to their decisions. Mm -hmm. And that's a big difference as like, right just, you know, finding versus, and I do the same thing with my daughter. It's like, this is, I empower her to make a choice, but she has to experience the natural consequences to her decisions. So I think that's just kind of what you're talking about. I see right. the correlation perfectly with parenting. Yeah. Running a mall he, business is like, is like running a kindergarten class. <laughs> I have a kindergartner. <laughs> same thing with running a leasing team. Yes. Uh, that's the funny story about, uh, the activity reports, one of the young leasing agents stood at my door and said, what are you going to do? Fire me? Oh, that's, that's good. That... Did you fire them? <laughs> Please tell you did. <laughs> Consequences. <laughs> I think I fired myself about 30 days later after that. Uh -oh. Yeah. Uh, well, you but... know, uh, uh, going back to micro, you know, it's funny because, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm very much into predictive index. If I don't know, I'm 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 assuming everybody on the call uh, knows predictive index. But yeah, you know, I'm... as I'm listening to some of these books, I'm like, this, this is like totally. They're not taking into account, you know, someone with a high D or a high C, because some people like to be micromanaged. Some people actually mm -hmm. don't like it when you say, you know, think like an owner and be autonomous, and and they just get, you know, they're like, no, I need structure i need a box sure. i need i need to be micromanaged to the point where i know exactly that i'm doing it right and 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 then after that then i'll just do it that way every time true and, so, and, so. and, and he speaks to that to a little bit basically and, and it depends on the task is at hand there is there is a right way where the 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 carrot and stick thing actually works best that's a motivator for very, he called it rudimentary tasks, whatever it would be. If it's like, you know, stop stocking a shelf or cleaning the house or whatever, you know, whatever those tasks may be. He, he talks about those, those specific tasks having a different motivator than something that even remotely uses some sort of cognitive ability. When, when, you, when you increase the cognitive ability to complete a task, that's where this the motivations change and they become more intrinsic versus extrinsic which and is also like about. right brain thinking versus left brain thinking, right brain creativity because he wrote another book a whole new mind all about the right brain and creativity yep. and all of that so it's the same kind of thing so what you're talking about something that's very like rational logical step-by-step -step process that takes no creative thinking at all versus something where you really need to be in flow to be your best. Right. 
and he discusses that where you know you know where and, and some of his TED talks he causes he talks about where what science knows best and business isn't following or I, I forget how he describes it um, but in theory theoretically business is not following what science is telling us and um, you know he, he talks about it, he then he goes through talks about you know income for, for jobs for different tasks and different jobs at hand and goes through saying like well money isn't so much a motive money is a motivator to a certain point short it's term short term to a certain point if 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 your job if you can if you can see consider your job to being paid fairly like if you're paid fairly and you're certain if you're a certain job today that's a baseline but to to go over and above that that's where this mastery and autonomy and purpose comes into play that's where you're able to take your you know to take your productivity to a different level it's not going to be because of they offer you a, a 30 percent bonus or they offer you this they offer you that it's because you have that freedom to go and push yourself further not because somebody told you but because you have it in your you know, it's an internal clock, an internal mechanism in, in, in you, in your brain that says, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to do it and I'm going to be and meet this sort of level because that's what I want to do. Because that's what I feel obligated in my own, you know, my own psyche. I feel obligated to do that to go forward. That's the two, part what I thought was really interesting. Two, yeah, two quotes in the book. Living a satisfying life requires more than simply meeting the demands of those in control. Yet in our offices and our classrooms, we have way too much compliance and way too little engagement. The former might get you through the day, but the latter will get you through the night. Mm -hmm. I just had a call this morning with someone, a young man that I'm coaching that works for a very large company. And um, I just had this conversation with him because he's being compliant and he's not being creative. And he's he's fearful of speaking out. And I'm coaching him on that. And I'm hoping that, that he starts speaking out. Another one of the quotes um, I loved, this is one of the things that I actually started doing, like did it twice yesterday. Asking why can lead to understanding, but asking why not, can lead to breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. That was my favorite part of the book. To be in a meeting or to be looking at an asset or to be, you know, working through a problem and saying, why not? And that goes, you know, how much, how many months and years in this book club have we talked about limiting beliefs? It's the number one problem in our world today, that everyone stops at, well, they're gonna think it's crazy or that's impossible, everyone. It, it is a huge problem we have in our, in our world, in the business world. And, and you know, he, they talked about this with parenting too, about they said, um, children who are praised for being smart often believe that every encounter is a test of whether they really are so to avoid looking dumb, they resist new challenges 
and choose the easiest path. By contrast, kids who understand that effort and hard work lead to mastery and growth take on more challenges and are willing to risk difficult tasks. Growth mindset versus fixed mindset is, is the mindset book that they referenced, I think is really powerful. So powerful. So instead of why, you know, and that's a blaming question. Why did that happen? Or why, you know, but just to, when you're brainstorming a problem, well, why not? Why, why couldn't we do that? Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? It's an engagement. Yeah. You, you can blame something, which is a finite answer, but when you ask why not, it, it, it forces you to be engaged, which is, you know, it's interesting because it goes back to what Chris Voss has always said. It's like, look, go get the, no. you want the no, because the no will give you, the no forces people to be engaged in the conversation that you're, that you're having at that, at, at that point in time. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty powerful. Can't yeah, get what I you had, don't ask for. <laughs> I had on my um, cork board Correct. for, for you know, more than a decade, uh, why not me? And that was just on a on a um, and a question mark and on my above my desk for probably 15 years or so until I moved. Um, and yeah, it's a, yeah, it's it's definitely a good question. Why not me? Right. So I, if I ever said, you know, it's like, well, why can't I do that? Or why not me? Why can't I be there? And there see, you are as the some. president. See someone in St. Bart's like, oh, that looks good. Why not? Why can't I? <laughs> Why not me? Awesome. Barry, are you available to chat or no? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm taking a walk while listening. All right. Did you read the book? I did not. I read To Sell as Human by Daniel Pink, and I, I'm a big fan of his Pink Cast. If, you guys, if anybody subscribes or doesn't subscribe to that, I'm a... Uh, big fan of that but no i did not read this book so i'm kind of listening and enjoying the discussion i've never heard of the pink test it's his weekly that? email he sends out a oh. weekly email if you just go to like danielpink.com uh, or google it um it, it's i like it a lot it's just like a very short little 60 second video he sends out once a week um yeah it's very thoughtful i like i like daniel pink a lot similar to um hardy he yeah, loves similar. Too. yeah, similar. They, he had two quotes that I highlighted about selling, since we're all in the sales business. He says, to sell well is to convince someone else to part with resources, not to deprive that person, but to leave him better off in the end. So obviously, if we, if we can lease someone some space to open a business, that should better him off in the end. But I also liked this one that says, um, don't upsell, upserve. Yeah. I love that. Don't yeah. upsell, upserve. Over like comparing McDonald's to Chick-fil-A to a degree. <laughs> I'm thinking like if you want fries with that versus upserve at Chick-fil-A. Absolutely. We're Halloween to Party City. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, but it's, you know, how do you, you know, he says, find, find out what, what drives your employees. You know, 
most of our in most of the economy is doing it exactly the opposite way, you know, exactly what he says is wrong. Short-term financial rewards that that in a short-term basis will motivate someone, but not in the long term. And I think that it goes back to that if they're not motivated, like, look, Hugh's got people on his team that are absolutely motivated in, in, internally and intrinsically, right? You've got a young lady and a young man on your, on your team that it wouldn't matter if you gave them a short-term bonus or not. They're going to be as motivated and driven as they were if you didn't do that. Yes. You, exactly, right? So, um, but it's hard as a leader to figure out who who those people are and you know and i mean i think that sometimes you have people that are competitive and they like the games or the challenges but it's it that's that's more for like okay it's we're coming on last quarter year end we want to get a few more leases signed I mean, I think those are just short blips and not for long-term drive and motivation, which is what he talks about. Uh, and, and it's self-serving. You know, if you're simply trying to get these deals done so you can get an additional commission check at the end of the year, you know, that serves yourself short-term, but does it serve the client whom you're working with? Like, does it serve that tenant in that specific business? Like, did you put them in the right position for success? One two, three years from now for you to get that commission check by the end of the year. That's, that's a hard one. And I, I, I reflected that when I was with Brookfield and like what we were, the deals that we were making, you could see it just had complete short-term impacts on them. It had, it was, it was great for six months, but it had no benefit long-term and the property suffered for it. I mean, you could, there's, there's countless examples, countless. I mean, I think that asking the question, what drives you is a great interview question. So we're creating a property management company right now for our shopping centers. And we have done calls with people to see who's going to be our bookkeeper, who's going to, you know, take care of the maintenance, that type of thing. And I wish I would have asked those questions this week because I, they seem motivated, but are they just selling themselves well on the call? But it's a good thing, like whoever we decide to hire to know that. So you speak to that motivation and that drive so you can properly work together. Yeah, and I think it's important when you're interviewing to follow, follow up with questions like that when they say, you know, well, this, this is what drives me. Can you give me an example? Yeah, definitely. Because they all know the right thing to answer to some of those questions. But give me an example of when you put that into practice. I yeah. that's that's what I do. I, I did like last two weeks ago, I had 15 mock interviews with some students from Florida State from like eight in the morning until four. It was like crazy, a long day. But I every time I asked them, well, you know, how I one of my favorite questions is how would do you have a best friend? And they it, they go, uh yeah. Like like it gets them off, you know, they're they're like, what does that mean? I go, how does your best friend describe you in three adjectives? And then they tell me, you know, hardworking, determined, and, you know, ambitious or whatever. And then I, or creative. 
And I'll say, well, do you agree with those? Do you agree with what they think about you? And they sure. And then I go, well, give me an example of hardworking. And then if they give me an example, well, you know, I was on this team and we were going after this case award and we were up all night and this happened and this happened. And it's a very specific example. But a lot of times they don't, they can't come up with examples. First, they can't think on their feet, which is a very important quality in our world, right? In selling. Um, and, but then they're just kind of using the adjectives that they think that you want, that you want to hear, that they don't have a specific example for. I think knowing what your drive is, is really important when something gets hard. I think that's super important. Like I really feel intrinsically motivated to be successful in real estate. And I revisit that every day, but there's always parts of the job that are like, frustrating or don't play to your strengths, then you need to kind of like figure it out. So you can get through those hard times because you are internally motivated and you aspire for these things because you're purpose-driven or you enjoy the autonomy of your day and you keep that autonomy. You know, you're not a slave to something because you can stay autonomous. I think just as supervising someone, it's also keeping yourself intrinsically motivated so you can be more successful. Absolutely. I mean, I can't stand the paperwork part of our job. The detail-oriented, reading the leases, reading the purchase and sale contracts, absolutely, I, I avoid it at all costs, which is why I outsource it, but I still have to be involved. Versus, I love the teaching part of my job. And there are people that are the opposite, hate the teaching part, love the detail part. It's that's what makes the world go around. But you, you know, what Gary Vaynerchuk says, self-awareness is the most undervalued skill set ever. You need to know who you are and what you're all about and, you know, what your purpose is and, and what you are motivated to have mastery in. You're like strange. I would never, I would never want to have mastery in contract revisions. I don't care. Just get someone else do it and get it done. But there's people. Do you like detail, Hugh? Uh, I, I I'm not. I don't like detail. You well, don't my either? PI, my my no, my PI actually is is not. I mean, I I have to um, I, I have to you know focus on detail for to do my job properly. But no, no. I mean, if I didn't have to, I you know wouldn't you try to outsource it 90 percent, and you come in and just review it um yeah yeah i have christina and carson you know doing the detail they're, they're the high d uh <clears throat> the the high uh you know the unpredictive index the high d um characters and uh and my team so they do a lot of stuff and i you know uh, have enough detail to be able to go in there and see if there's any adjustments that need to be made Barry, do you like de doing detail work? I don't like, I am very detailed. I'm good at it. I don't enjoy it now, but I can what do it you? real well. Greg, what about you? No. <laughs> Although I do Anyone? like spreadsheets. I don't know if, is that detail? Cause you yes. know, my wife makes fun of me cause I love I spreadsheets. Know. Like I'll put a spreadsheet together for, for everything. If I have to be detailed, I, I can be to, to prove it. And it really is dependent on what it is. It's, it's if I have to prove a point somewhere, but I can't stand it. Like I can't stand spreadsheets. I can't stand reading them, you know, 
and part of it could just be some mild ADD that I just don't have the time to just, but I'm, I'm pretty, pretty fluid. And I think liking spreadsheets means you're detailed because I, okay, I, I like guess charts. I'm detailed. <laughs> I like charts. I like looking at tenant sales and saying, do a chart. I don't like, I say, I tell Chloe, do a chart from, you know, 2017 till today. And I like looking at like real quick, a chart, you know, that's visual and is a graphic that's going to tell me up before, you know, pre over pre-COVID sales, under pre-COVID sales, you know, ramping up over the last four or five years, you know, whatever. I like charts very quick, but I love looking at sales because I think that's so important. I noticed yesterday in one of my, one of my tenants, it's a nail salon. And at one point they were doing $2.8 million. This is pre-COVID. And the owner opened two more locations and he's never at my store. And all of a sudden this week, and, I, and about six months ago, I said, are you going to come back to my store? And he goes, well, I'm trying to get these other stores open. I go, but you, you see your, what's, what's happening with your sales that you're not at back, that you're not at the store, right? And he goes, yeah, you know, I need a new manager. All of a sudden this week, he's back at the store. And I texted him this morning and I said, I see you're back at the store. I mean, the sales are down 40 and 50,000 a month without him. Now, maybe it doesn't matter because he's working on the sales of these other two stores, but that is huge. That's a huge, I mean, I can't even imagine if I owned a business and my sales were down 40,000 a month, it's crazy. I, I have not, Nancy just asked about concessions. Uh, in South Florida, we are out of the concession business since about July of 2020, right, Hugh? Uh, you could say that, yeah. Yeah. Any? I don't know if anyone else. Greg, are you? What are you seeing around the country? I mean, I don't know if it really applies to you, but did you? Were you able to get some really great deals this Halloween season in certain parts of the country? Um. Not. I, I think on before Halloween. I think we were we were kind of status quo from the year before. Now, what, what I'm noticing is that a lot of the landlords, even last year, just had this in, just unex, just very unrealistic expectations of what their space was worth. So there really wasn't a whole lot of concessions going on. I mean, we we so the only way we were able to get better deals was we had to be very flexible and we had to be a little bit more creative on what our footprint looked like. So if we weren't in a shopping center and we were in a warehouse space just across the street or down the street, then that's where we went. And, and so that's, but no, at least in Texas or Louisiana, no, which is kind of interesting to think that, that even Northern Louisiana and Shreveport, they're not giving away anything. I mean, rents are up 30, 40%. Yeah. That's how it is in South Florida in most of the markets. Yeah. Um, so a couple more quotes on the book. This is a good one. In the new world of sales, being able to ask the right questions is more valuable than producing the right answers, which is what I preach all the time. Don't show up and throw up, right? 
Unfortunately, our schools often have the opposite emphasis. They teach us how to answer, but not how to ask. So true, right? So true. Questions, people will text me or, or, or DM me and say, you know, can you send me your scripts? I'm like, scripts? There's no scripts. You have to ask questions, get, listen to the answer, and then respond. You can't do that in a script. That would that is so counterintuitive to, to the selling process, unless you're selling maybe a copy machine. I don't know. I, I've 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 done this for 35 years. So for me, it's, it's never been about a script. There's certain questions you want to make sure. You know, how many square feet? What's your use? Do you have any other locations? And then it's kind of you know, are you know, do you have any partners? Do you need a loan to open the business? How much does it cost to, it's it just impossible to, in my opinion, have a script. Hugh, did, Hugh I'm thinking now, look, thinking back to your early days, did, you didn't really have a script, but you just had a list of questions, right? Um, uh, in, in terms of negotiating or in terms of uh, prospecting or no, I, I mean, when I, when I was qualifying. prospecting, I, I I would have a, you know, if I'm canvassing, I have not a script, but I just say the same thing almost every time. So, you know, are you looking to open up any other locations or something like that? Um, but as far as, uh, yeah, pre-qualifying, um, yeah, there's a set of questions. I don't, I don't know if I'm following word for word a script, but, but certainly, you know, you have to hit your marks. Um, and, and then, you know, certainly in, in negotiations, uh, uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think that there, although we, at, I think at Wolverite, they had one of these uh, coaches come in, um, Omar Periu. I don't know if you know him, he's in Boca and he gave us, uh, <laughs> a few closing techniques. And I don't know if you call those scripts, but you know, they were kind of prepackaged, uh, you know, things that you would say. Did it work? Um, sort of. I mean, you know, so for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, so um, one, of, one of the uh, closings or objection um, responses that he said is, uh, so pretend you're talking to a prospective uh, lessee or um, prospective tenant. And you go in and you quote, hey, um, my rent's $25 per square foot. And, uh, and the prospect, the tenant says, that's too expensive. And then, so you're supposed to say, um, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, uh, that's interesting. Is it, is it that you, you can't afford it or you can't justify it? Because if you can't afford it because of your sales, that's one thing, but if you can't justify it because you think it, you know, that's not the market, that's something else. And that, that's like the canned response, but it's also, you have those also. I mean, what are your sales, right? Okay, so then you kind of, so those, they're, they're almost prepackaged responses. And I don't know if you call them scripts or not. I, I think I do, but you know, I think they're helpful. I, I think it's all about the questions. I've, I get made fun of a lot in my office for asking some people you know, routinely make fun of me for asking too many questions on calls or meetings. And I, I let it, I kind of laugh inside because I, I think it's all about the questions, not the presentation. I agree. I agree. I mean, I do think that we, I do think that we have typical answers, right? For sure. That, that is, when people say, I can't, 
afford the rent? Absolutely. I go to, well, what are, what are your sales or what are your projected sales? So I do think we have pat responses to the questions, but I, I do too. When I, and whenever I do role-playing, I tell, I have one person that I'm role-playing with and another person that I'm saying secretly, I text them, count how many questions I ask. Cause I'll ask like Barry, I'll ask 30 or 40 questions in a negotiation. It's like, it's, it, it's crazy, but that's how you get, I think, successfully to the uh, an end result. In my that's opinion. what Chris Voss talks about. I mean, I was watching the videos. I think I posted on LinkedIn. I mean, mirroring is, it's just questioning. And I'm, I'm working on trying to improve my technique. And I, I enjoy listening to folks I consider like really good interviewers. Like I'm in the sports. I enjoy listening to Paul Feinbaum. If anybody knows him, like he's really a great interviewer. He asks really very casually asked very good questions. And that's, I enjoy listening to people like that that are, that I think are expert at questioning uh, just to try to figure out their technique where it's just casual, but very, very insightful and deep. All right, so here's a few more quotes before we start closing out. I thought he talks a lot about breaks, Greg, taking breaks, right? Naps. So he says, high performers, research concludes, work for 52 minutes and then break for 17 minutes. I thought that was pretty aggressive, but I do think that taking breaks, taking walks, especially those of us sometimes that are still working from home to get up and take a walk, go outside, get fresh air at the office, get up, take a walk, walk to lunch, whatever. Um, I don't know if every 52 minutes, I'd take a break for 17 minutes. I'm not sure how much I would get done. But I do think that, and he says, elite performers have something in common. They're really good at taking breaks. I've heard that before. So, you know, and, and one of the books we read recently, I don't remember which one it was, but talked a lot about when you work out your muscles, the the time when the muscles grow is in the recovery period. I think that's Darren Hardy. He's big yeah. with rest and recovery and the need to push an athlete. The hard part of pushing an athlete is the recovery, not the exercise. So he says, you know, you lift, you know, your weights 10 times and then you take a, you know, take a couple minute pause that the muscles in the rest and recovery, that's when they're growing. And it's really, really important to, um, to have that recovery time. And, and he, he talked about in, in the eighties and nineties, it was the big deal. It says until about 10 years ago, we admired someone, those that could survive only on four hours of sleep and those that worked through the night, they were heroes. He said, then sleep science reached the mainstream and we became, we began to change our attitude. The sleepless guy wasn't a hero. He was a fool. He was likely doing subpar work and maybe hurting the rest of us because of his poor, poor choices. Breaks are now where sleep was then. Skipping lunch used to be a badge of honor and taking a nap a mark of shame. No more, the science of timing now affirms what the old world already understood. We should give ourselves a break. So, I, you know, I, I knew a guy that napped every day. This is like 20 years ago, I was in a, this group called Tech or Vistage. And every day from three to 3.30, he took a nap on his couch in his office. We used to tease him. But 
there have been times I, 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 when I travel a lot on airplanes, like I'll work for like an hour and then I'll take a 15, 20 minute nap and I wake up, you know, I'm on a flight and I'm renewed for 15 or 20 minutes. I think I love naps. I say, I say, I always do the most productive thing at every given moment. And sometimes it might be a nap. <laughs> Bobby Bowden was, he, he used to say he, he had a couch in his office that he napped every single day. I think it's, I, you know, cause otherwise you're, you're sometimes you're exhausted and then you're not thinking clearly. So if there's a way you could take a little nap, I think that that would be a wonderful thing. It's easier to do it when you're working from home, obviously. But also a walk outside, unlike today in South Florida, it's all dreary and rainy, but um, a walk, a brisk walk outside is refreshing as well. So anything else, Greg, to add on your favorite part of the book? Um, the only other story that I'll, I'll add is um, he talks about you know, kind of with, and I forget which section of the book it's in, and when he talks about the FedEx days and the 20% time, and, um, you know, Atlassian's the company, and they they uncovered, they called these the FedEx days, because they had to dedicate one day, a quarter, a month, whatever it was, um, but they could do whatever they wanted. As long as it was related to, somewhat business related, it, could, it was just completely different from what they were currently doing. And they called it a FedEx day because they had to deliver it overnight. Um, and they kind of parlayed that into 20% time. And one of my, so when I worked with DDR, when we had just opened, we had just bought all the malls in Puerto Rico, um, huge traffic generators for the island. And took one visit and I'm like, boy, you know, we, all these malls in the in the United, in the U.S. They've got the sponsorships, they have the advertising program, they got all this stuff. Puerto Rico had none of it. No one told me to do it. No one did anything. I'm just said I called a couple ad companies on the island. Lo and behold, we developed a 20 million dollar sponsorship program just because it was it was had nothing to do with my job that because we had a dedicated team to do it. But it was a 20 million dollar recurring annual income for 15 malls in the country, in the island. And, I, and it all came about because of something else I took as kind of like a pet project. So, and I'm working on a pet project now for Spirit right now in hopes that we'll get something worked out. But yeah, those were that, that part just kind of really motivated. It really, it really two, correlated. Two days of Halloween instead of one. Exactly. <laughs> It, it has to do with it has to do with physical spaces. How can we how can we set up a Halloween store, not in a contiguous you know not in an inline space, and it's not and that's and it's temporary, and it's not a tent. Hmm, interesting. So I've got some I've got some ideas. All right. Imports. Three D printing. That could be one idea. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll add two, two, two things. One is I, I remember that one of the, uh, one of my takeaways was on motivation, um, in that the, uh, that if you do something, then you get this, uh, seems to not be a good way to motivate. Um, but the, you know, when the person does something, 
the now that now that you did this, then you get a reward, uh, leaves a lasting impression. So when I um, think of bonuses and rewards and things like that, I try I try to follow you know the more effective method. It's hard you know it's it's harder to plan, uh, but the surprises are definitely you know longer lasting, leaves a pretty deep impression. I remember. That will write, you know, I did a great job and we we're in Vegas one year and then, you know, we we're all at the casino and Mike Fimiani hands me a thousand dollars in chips one day. He's like, all right. I'm like, I still remember that to this day is a thousand dollars. I mean, a thousand dollars is, you know, a lot of money, but certainly, you know, it's not like the size of a, you know, like a $20,000 bonus or something. Did, but Did you go cash it in and take the money? Well, <laughs> <laughs> there's no way no way you gambled that thousand dollars so I so I, I gambled a hundred of it and i think i was up 50 bucks and i was like all right that's good a thousand fifty dollars beth you know me so well and I, all right so the next thing i'll i'll do is uh, i'm gonna share something well, i'm not able to share um can 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 you uh allow yeah. me to share yeah there's right. no way you were going to, everyone needs to know their employees or their team members really well, because uh, abs when you said he gave you a thousand bucks, you were running to the, <laughs> there's no way it would have killed you to gamble that money and lose it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know me. So, uh, so one of the things that uh, we touched upon was, um, uh, you know, the, the reason, the purpose, right? And I tried to put together, like, uh, you know, in leasing, when you sign a lease, it leads to a lot more purpose than people think. So I, I took the example, and I have this in my leasing handbook that I, you know, uh, when I onboard new leasing people to try to just give them an idea of the magnitude of the effect of uh, leasing space can be. It's not just you know, commission in their pocket or, you know, one space filled. And so take an example, if you were to lease a 5,000 square foot space in a shopping center, call it 20 bucks a square foot for a five-year term, very, you know, typical lease. So what does that do? Number one, on, on the ownership side, you know, that's $100,000 of NOI to the property. That's great. That adds, uh, you know, $5,800 of sales tax revenue to the state of Florida because they tax um, base rent. That adds $5,000 in annual management fees uh, just from that one deal to, uh, to the management company. Um, it's the gross commission, obviously, but then it's also uh, added one and a quarter million of property value if you apply, you know, an 8% cap rate, which is very high these days. But then you look into, you know, the community side and it could be 20 new jobs. And let's just say it's $35,000 an average uh, uh, income for the job. That's 600,000 more and added purchasing power to the local economy. And then those $600,000, that's maybe 100,000 in uh, taxes to the federal government. So it's like this kind of, you know, um, self perpetuating success once you once you sign a lease that doesn't end that just the commission and you know in, in addition to that you know if i have a strong leasing team guess what i can be more aggressive in my acquisitions if i know i can lease up the shopping center in you know 12 months instead of 26 months i'm gonna you know go maybe bid an extra million bucks and get the deal versus get you know not bid out and not get the deal 
And more acquisitions equals, you know, more leasing opportunities, more management fees, more leasing fees, et cetera. And, uh, and then, you know, on, on the neighborhood side, again, uh, as you add these conveniences and, you know, uh, the independent retailer awards, you know, if you get the, the batch cookies, the, you know, the, the, uh, the Cali coffees and all these other guys that the cool concepts, you end up, you know, making the area that, that your property is in even more interesting. And then, you know, when you hit a certain threshold and magnitude, it becomes, you know, really interesting. Like look at, you know, um, look at Wynwood, right? I mean, Wynwood, no one lived there. And it was a bunch of, you know, bars that popped up and then more people started going there and it became more interesting. And now, you know, the rents that you pay in Wynwood are, you know, more than what you're paying in, uh, in South Beach in some cases. And so, um, so it can kind of uh, uh, self-perpetuate uh, value, income, um, you know, and then all, uh, fees and, and everything else. I love this. This, I, this is do you fantastic. Remember, fantastic. Do you remember what I used to say to you guys at Terra Nova? Uh, Who did we part? work for? Who did we work for? Who did we didn't we... work for? Yeah, instead of working Steven? for no. <laughs> so, so instead of working for the pension fund advisors, I used to say we need to get that extra dollar a square foot for the widows and children. Ah, that's right, the widows and widows children. and children, because it because they would you guys would come to me and you would say, oh my gosh, we don't we beat the budget already. We don't need to go get the other dollar. And I would say, no, no, we have to go get the other dollar because what we're doing is we're we're working for a pension fund advisor. And their money goes to fund the widows and children of their employees. And that was my, trying to take the, we're just not a third party leasing company. We're trying to better the returns so that the widows and children could get their benefits. So I would always say, we're not working for Heather, the asset manager, we're working for the widows and children of the pension fund. In that case, I'm working for Jack's kids. <laughs> <laughs> and, his, and their college tuition. <laughs> this was that was awesome, Hugh. So awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, no, no worries. And and you can even go further. It's like it can be. Oh yeah. You know, right? It's like all the little things, right? Then the supplier. You know, if you do a restaurant, then you're helping the suppliers and the truck drivers and the blah 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 blah. It's, well, it's and so you can you, and you can turn that into actually a leasing tool because you can take that and modify it slightly and share that with a retailer or a restaurant and say like, this is what, if we work these deals, this are all the different facets that we can do that how it benefits the community and how it benefits your employees and everybody else. And it really, it, it, it flips the script of what a traditional conversation between the landlord and tenant are that, we're, that we've seen. It's, it becomes a little bit more, it's a definite more engaging conversation and it, become, and it kind of hopefully creates a little partnership. Well, well I mean, really who needs to understand this also are the cities. I mean, the, yeah, the amount of time, sure. that, the amount of time that's held up and getting between getting a tenant open is like crazy. I mean, in just our little portfolio, I mean, it's, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of days across, you know, all the tenants, right. And think of, you know, how much extra tax revenue and tax space and, and, and salaries could have been created uh, if they would have, you know, sped things up by 30 days. On a, per deal, on average, it's crazy. Amen. 
Yeah, we. I'm trying to get a. One of my tenants is trying to get a permit, and the electric inspector, the engineer, is wanting us to get one year of FPNL Florida Power and Light bills for all of the tenants in the shopping center for the last year. I'm like, we're not getting that. Now what? Now what? We're not getting that. It's crazy. Yeah, I have I think, to go over over his head. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, and that and that's the you know as as powerful as leasing can be, and 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 self perpetuating you know um, good things. Uh, yeah, some of these city guys can can do the same thing negatively, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. All right. So next month uh, we have our last book of the year before Greg takes over in 2022. There it is, the one thing oh, wow. by Gary Keller, which I did. You hear? I downloaded the audio version and I start listening to it, and it was in Dutch. <laughs> Somehow my finger moved and said I wanted it in Dutch. So. Um, but now I have it in English, so it's great. So have you started reading it, Greg? Is it good? I've heard yeah. it's great. It is. It's a pretty quick read. Like I'm, I'm got to run guys. It's been, it's, it's been really fun. Book. Have a great one. Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. Yeah. So you're enjoying it. It's a quick read and you're enjoying it's, it. It's a quick read and there's a, you know, you, you could be able to supplement a lot of the information on YouTube. It's, he's got some other talks and stuff as well. So should be. I, I did that one on Audible too, Beth, as well. I finished it uh, about a month ago. I bet Dutch you didn't too. do it in Dutch. I, I I do speak fluent Dutch, but no, I did yeah, it in English. Cool. And, and I don't I, speak I a word of Dutch. I know a few words. I studied in Belgium. <laughs> I'm joking. I don't know a word of Dutch. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, I, I know enough. Very cool. To, awesome. All right, everyone. Have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll see you, you next month. Yeah, whatever. Okay. See you guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.